Hashtag you don't have to be Jewish. Paula Slear is well known and beloved by our community. She's a journalist and war correspondent and has just returned from Bahrain. She joins me now to tell me more. Paula, welcome and thank you so much for joining me. Thank you so much for having me. It's always so lovely to have you on the show. <laughs> well, it's always so lovely to be on the show. <laughs> what were you doing in Bahrain? This past September was one year since we've had the Abraham Accords that were signed initially between Israel and the United Arab Emirates, but very hot on the hills was Bahrain. And it's a tiny country made up of a whole number of islands. I think a lot of people are not even familiar with Bahrain, a very, very small Jewish community. When I was there, I think I changed the numbers from six, from 36 to 37 for the 10 days that I stayed. But funny enough, it's one of the oldest communities. It's strategically placed just off the United Arab Emirates and one of the Gulf countries. And so centuries ago, it was very much part of the Silk Route. It was, it's over the, um, over the years, it's been a very important destination for ships. And you had Jews first starting to move there at the end of the last century, mostly from Iraq. And you've had, as as have Jewish communities everywhere, you've had a very successful community, even though the numbers are incredibly small. You've had, for example, the Bahraini, the former Bahraini ambassador to the United States was a Jewish woman. And this tiny Jewish community has a very high profile within the country itself. Have the relations between the Jewish community and the country been prior to the Abraham Accords? There was never any relationship with Israel. It was one of the Gulf countries, very much part of the alliance with Saudi Arabia and 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 other countries in that part of the world. So one of the questions I had when I went there was, why would Bahrain sign a peace deal with Israel when your Gulf countries very much take their line from Saudi Arabia. And the best answer I could get was that the expectation very much was that Saudi Arabia was going to sign a a peace treaty with Israel. If you remember, the Abraham Accords were actually inked during the time of the former American president, Donald Trump. And he did say that other countries would follow suit. And so the speculation very much has been that Saudi Arabia was going to be the next country. But subsequent to Trump no longer being in office, the Abraham Accords have taken a back seat. And um, it's not really clear if any more countries are going to come forward and sign with Israel, particularly countries that are majority Muslim, as is Bahrain and the rest of the Gulf countries. The rumors going around are the country Oman, O-M-A-N, is possibly going to be the next country to sign a peace treaty with Israel. Obviously, any of these countries that come on board and sign with Israel is a huge plus for Israel. Now, you asked me specifically, what is the relationship like with Bahrain and Israel? I don't think that the majority of people in Bahrain actually support Israel. You have a government that has signed a peace treaty, but certainly it doesn't seem to have filtered down. And the best way to explain that to you, Sharice, is that as one university student put it for me, she said, imagine you've been brought up your whole life that Israel is an enemy state. And then just one day, your government announces that actually we're friends with Israel. Those kind of changes don't happen immediately. And so we know now that there were secret discussions between the Bahraini government and the Israeli government. And and so for a select few, it wasn't a surprise this kind of agreement was signed. 
But for the majority of Bahrainis, it was a complete surprise. And I met with the head of the Jewish community there. And and he, too, was completely, completely surprised. He said he literally switched on the news one evening. And, and that's how he learned that his country had recognized the state of Israel. Bahrain had always allowed its Jews to live in freedom. And there isn't a history of anti-Semitism or persecution in the country. And, and maybe partly because the numbers are so low, but also partly because the Jews that are there were at pains to point out that it's not within the Bahraini culture. It's a very open culture. But like other Arab countries, there was a problem with the establishment of Israel vis-a-vis the Palestinian struggle, vis-a-vis the stories that we see in the media. And, and so they've never recognized the state of Israel per se. But excitingly, that has now all changed. One of the things that people talk about that, the, that Israel hoped to gain with the Gulf states that it doesn't have with its surrounding neighbors is a warm peace. And we hear often about the relationship between the UAE and Israel and, you know, b- both flags being shown, even in fruit, you know, vegetable shops, whatever. Do you think that'll still develop with Bahrain? Well, a good point that you brought up the UAE. Now, the United Arab Emirates has a very different kind of population to the Bahrainis. From the research I've done and and also from talking to people and reporting on the ground, the positive feeling towards Israel does filter down amongst the UAE. It's a very different situation in Bahrain where I would say a fair amount of the population still need to be educated, still need to come to want to be in touch with Israelis. For example, when I met with the ambassador to Bahrain, the Israeli ambassador, he said that a a lot of organizations, for example, universities and companies in Bahrain, say they want to create a a dialogue with Israel, but when it actually comes to putting the ink on contracts that would formalize a relationship with a company or a university in Israel, they're very reluctant to do that. Whereas in the UAE, it's completely different. It's a much warmer piece and a much more open kind of piece. I'm not quite sure if it's because there was more done behind the scenes or if it's because the, the the people are just different in the sense that you could argue that a lot of the UAE is much more modern. Uh, a lot of the UAE are foreigners. But the reality is that in Bahrain, you have a more traditional kind of society. So when I was meeting people there and you tell them that you're Jewish, they have no problem with that. And, and that doesn't necessarily mean anything for them, although a lot of them haven't met Jews. But when you tell them you're coming from Israel, I couldn't help but feel a moment of uncertainty how they were going to react. Everybody responded in the right way. Everybody either hugged me or exclaimed that they were so exciting, excited that Israelis were going to come and that there was this peace. But sometimes it's really hard to tell if that's a genuine feeling or if they're just saying it for the cameras or or, or just for the moment. The other point I wanted to mention is that there is a small synagogue there in the capital And for the Jewish community, this is a huge development. They have, the synagogue was refurbished under Trump by, um, by his team, particularly by his son-in-law, Jared Kushner. And Jared gave a Torah to the government and the, the king of Bahrain as a kind of token of appreciation for recognizing Israel. And he donated it in turn to the synagogue. So there is a new Torah there. They've refurbished the whole place. And they're really hoping that a lot of Israelis and a lot of Jewish tourists from around the world will now come to Bahrain, which could potentially see the Jewish community there either grow in number or could just see the community being revived on the occasional Friday night. I mean, they had the first bar mitzvah in something like 75 years. 
and they had the first wedding. <laughs> the wedding was actually, if I'm not mistaken, was in the UAE, not in Bahrain. But of course, the UAE and Bahrain have these very close relationships. And they've also started now direct flights between Israel and Bahrain. So to fly from Israel to Bahrain is just two hours, whereas to fly from Israel to most European destinations, you're looking at about four, four and a half hours. There is promise here that the relationship can get better and that ordinary Bahrainis will meet ordinary Israelis and and please God, that will lead to a a further strengthening of the warmth that you talk about filtering down to lower levels. Paula, it's also interesting that you mentioned that no uh, more Gulf countries haven't joined. I remember having a discussion a while back with Sharaka, and they were like very confident that these few countries were just the beginning and eventually that most of the Gulf states, if not all, would make peace. You kind of alluded to the fact that Trump's no longer in power, but do you think it, there is still a chance? Look, I don't think the only reason, I, I certainly don't believe that the only reason why these countries are making peace with Israel is because they really want to have peace with Israel. I mean, it's, it has to be part of a strategic kind of alliance. And so playing into that is the, uh, is that these countries are Sunni Muslim countries. They are just as threatened, if not more so, I don't know exactly how one measures that, by Iran. So they are very against Iran becoming nuclear, which makes them a natural partner for Israel. And this has been a huge part of the impetus that has actually led the countries to come out in the open and declare the warming warming of relations. So I'm not surprised by the guesswork that Saudi Arabia was going to be next in line. I mean, it's just guesswork at the moment. And people I talk to think it might just be a matter of time until Saudi Arabia comes on board, because Saudi Arabia is the the leader of this part of the world against Iran. So Saudi Arabia is very, very concerned about a nuclear Iran. And and again, Israel in that context becomes a natural natural partner against Iran. In terms of Trump, the, the analysis out there is that part of Trump's legacy, if you like, was particularly on the Israeli level, these peace treaties between Israel, Bahrain, the United Arab Emirates, Sudan, other countries. And so initially, the Biden administration has played down those kind of agreements because they don't want to kind of help (laughs) the, the legacy of Trump. Uh, for example, this year, when you had the one-year anniversary, there was very little. I think it was just one tweet that came out from the American embassy referencing the the Abraham Accords. What What is interesting is who will win the next American elections. And, you know, there are rumors, of course, that Trump's going to run again. And if he did run again, and this is all speculative, and if he was to win, I certainly think that for many Israelis, that would be a, a, a green light in the direction of going ahead with these kind of treaties that Israel was beginning to sign towards the end of his presidency. So for, for Israel, it's, it is important and it's definitely a huge step that they have managed to sign these accords. Also to mention, of course, Morocco and, um, and, and, and it is part of the regional shift that sees countries lining up in the Middle East and elsewhere in the, one of the camps, either part of the Saudi Arabia-Israel camp or part of the Iran-Shia camp. Paula, you brought up Iran. <laughs> Tell me, where are we at? You know, I can't share with you necessarily more than what we see in the media. Israel remains hugely concerned about 
what is happening ever since Trump withdrew from the treaty, which which Israel applauded at the time and and still applauds. It thought that that nuclear agreement that was signed between Iran and the world powers was a terrible agreement. But it was the a terrible agreement out of bad options because since that agreement has has folded, you have Iran even admitting that it is enriching itself. And so the question is, at what point does Iran enrich itself? And it's, it's a point of no go back. And a lot of the analysis again out there is that this, this point is coming very soon. And so how do you stop this? Do you stop it by going back to the agreement, which is what your European powers and the Americans are pushing for? But Iran is in no great rush to go back to the agreement. They've been, they've been the ones who've been delaying any kind of meetings between the Europeans and the Americans and themselves. And again, let me mention that Israel's against that deal. It, it doesn't believe it was a good deal. So that's not necessarily going to solve the problem either. Or do you stop Iran reaching the point of no return by launching an attack on Iran? And then that raises the question, does Israel launch the attack? Does the United States launch the attack? I mean, for the Israelis, they would much rather it was an international effort and not an Israeli effort. But let me mention here what happened in, in Afghanistan. We all saw what happened in Afghanistan. The Taliban came to power very, very quickly, and very little was done by the United States to stop that. And I've reported a lot inside Afghanistan and about Afghanistan. And I remember one of the Israeli experts commenting on it, that he felt that the lesson of Afghanistan was a lesson for Israel. And that was that don't rely on the United States and the international community to come to your rescue when you are pushed up against the wall. And he meant that particularly with reference to Iran, that the Israelis must be careful to not to rely on the Americans when they feel that Iran reaches that point of no return. But, you know, if Israel goes to war with Iran, it's it, it has massive implications. And so, of course, that's why Israel would not be the ones to initiate that. I can't really answer you where we stand. I mean, the debate is always in the headlines in Israel. It's the number one concern of this government and of the previous government under Netanyahu. And, 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 and the options on the table are bad options. Returning to a deal that Israel did not support or launching a war, which has all the ramifications of that. And we already are in a situation in Israel where we see the Iranian presence inside Syria on Israel's border and the Iranian support for Hezbollah inside Lebanon continuing. So whether Israel's going to go to war with Iran or whether it's going to be a war that's going to be between Israel and the Iranian proxies, Hamas, Hezbollah, they all receive funding from, from Iran. And then you have your Iranian militia groups that are very, very strong in the region. And, and I'm talking here in um, particularly in Syria and also in Iraq. So, you know, you could have a war with Israel and the Iranian proxies, which doesn't mean you're bombing Tehran, but essentially Israel's going to be on receiving end of rockets from its borders in Gaza and in Lebanon and in Syria. Paula, there's always so much to talk about. Uh, you as a war correspondent, I guess, will never be out of a job. And I appreciate your uh, your telling us from the front line, as it were, what's happening. So thank you so much for joining me, and I look forward to our next chat. Thank you very much for having me. Hopefully we can talk about more positive things. <laughs> yes, that'll be nice. Thank you very much. That was Paula Sleer, journalist and war correspondent.